Well, if you've been with us, we've been traversing through the book of Galatians, and today will be the last part of that. We started in chapter 1, verse 1, and today we're going to make it all the way through to the end of chapter 6, verse 18. So we're going to do the last few verses. It's going to be chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. If you're new to the Bible, uh, Galatians is in the New Testament, and you can look for it there. It should be in the Pew Bible on page 826 page 826. And the large numbers there are going to be the chapter numbers, and the small numbers are going to be the verse numbers. And as I said earlier, we've come to the end of Galatians, and if you leave Galatians with nothing else, we want it to be that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Again, that's Jesus plus nothing equals everything, if you walk away with one thing. That salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. The work of God from beginning to end. Indeed, it is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that is the entry point into Christianity. It's the way we continue with Christ, and it's all we'll ever need to live the Christian life. We are justified by faith in what Jesus has done. The gospel of grace. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's what the Galatians needed to know, and it's what we still need to know. It's not a set of abstract truths but a way of life, deeply fulfilling, secure, satisfying, flourishing in the life now and in the full realization of God's kingdom that is to come in eternity. We accidentally might have just covered verse 18, but where Paul says, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. So before we get too far ahead of ourselves, Let's, uh, let's read the verse, pray, and get started. So, Galatians 6, 11 through 18. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who would walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you in your spirit. Brothers, amen. Father, we thank you for the book of Galatians. We thank you that our salvation, our life together with you, our flourishing is not dependent upon our own action, but upon our simple clinging to that old rugged cross. That you lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died that you have done the work on our behalf and that we can't add to it. Lord, we thank you that we are saved by your grace alone. Use this passage to speak to us this morning. Help us to learn more about you so that we might fall more in love with you, that we might desire you, that you would be our satisfaction and our joy. We pray these things by your Holy Spirit. Amen. 
So the passage this morning is going to teach us that Paul is unapologetically about the cross of Christ. And that he sees the cross as the decisive turning point in all of history. So that the new creation is inaugurated. It's started. Therefore, those that say circumcision or any good works or anything else is necessary in addition to Jesus to have salvation have denied the cross. And they still belong to what Paul called, all the way back in chapter 1, verse 4, this present evil age. So the main idea of the message this morning, what I want you to get, is that true disciples are made a new creation through the cross of Christ. And when I say the cross of Christ, I mean the entire Christ event. I mean his life from beginning to end. Well, to resurrection, to life now. Through the cross, his good and accomplished work. So true disciples are made a new creation through the cross. And as we will see, a new creation is not self-centered, but is Christ-centered. The new creation is not self-centered, but is Christ-centered. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand, Paul says in verse 11. It's as if he has allowed his scribe or his secretary to write the letter on his, on his behalf to this point, just kind of recording his words. But it's all, he comes and he seizes the pen from the scribe and then starts writing in all capital letters. See with what large letters I am writing to you. He does this not because his hands are deformed from persecution or because he has poor eyesight, as some have suggested. He does this to bring our attention to it. In modern terms, it might be like getting an email or a text message. It's in all capital letters, right? Pay attention. There should be a sign going off. So we will pay attention to what follows, verses 12 and 13. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Paul's once more saying here that the Judaizers or the false teachers, those that are leading the Galatians astray, are only concerned with themselves, with making a good showing, with, well, looking good. They don't actually care about the Galatians or anyone but themselves. They don't care about the law. They don't care about the cross. They're disobedient to both. The false teachers are indeed self-centered. They try to win followers so that they can be popular and so that they can avoid persecution. They are wrongly motivated. They're looking for validation, approval, and acceptance from men. They're serving the counterfeit God of approval. They're worshiping approval by looking for the validation of themselves from the acceptance of others. They need to know that they're enough. And so they look to their fellow man to tell them how good they are. They try to make a good showing. How often are we guilty of this same idolatry? Do we not often look to others for their approval rather than Jesus? Do we not attempt to make a good showing, to look good? I saw an interesting headline this week in the USA Today. Uh, It was that... um, The word selfie is named word of the year for 2013. I don't know how they vote on these things or figure them out. They didn't ask me, but it was named the word of the year. If you don't know what the word selfie is, uh, Oxford Dictionaries, yes, it's in the Oxford Dictionary now, they define it as, as following, 
a photograph that one has taken of oneself, typically with a smartphone or a webcam, and uploaded to a social media website. So, so let me help you out here, in case you're not familiar. Uh, you take your cell phone or your, your webcam on your computer, and you take a, a picture of yourself. And then you put it on the internet, or you post it somewhere for everybody to see, right? So that other people can give you validation, right? They can retweet your picture or Facebook like it. Hey, I like that picture. And let's be real. We are looking for validation when we would take a, a selfie and post it on the internet. We want people to tell us how very good we look. And we're not posting bad pictures, right? I don't think anybody takes a terrible picture of themselves and goes, I look awful in this. Let's get that on the web so everyone can see. No, we want to present the best picture of ourselves. We want to take a very good selfie. We want to make a good showing as we look for approval outside of Christ. We crave the approval of others. And like the Judaizers, we are overly concerned with the external. This self-obsession, this desire to be approved, often by people we don't know as it relates to social media, it's a symptom of our deep-seated worship problem. Instead of worshiping Jesus, we worship approval and then boast that we get it. I do want to define this word boasting uh, quickly. Boasting is to display or proclaim publicly a satisfied contentment with one's own worth or another's achievements. Let me do that for you one more time. Boasting is to display or proclaim publicly a satisfied contentment with one's own or another's achievements. It's magnifying yourself. Everyone loved my picture. Did you see what I did? Look at all the places I've been. Look how good my food looks. Look how happy I am. Right? We don't post or advertise those bad moments in our life, those moments of weakness. For weakness is not approved of in our culture. Maybe you don't participate in social media. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, that's not me. I don't, I don't use the internet. I've never heard the word selfie until about five minutes ago. And I go to church. Well, the sin of worshiping approval is here too, friends. Think of it this way. It just looks a little bit different. You're on your way to service and you fight with whomever you're on your way there with, a friend or your spouse. You continually compare yourself to others. You're depressed throughout the week and you don't know why. Your children are alienated from you. You love stuff more than people. You're addicted to food and to drink. You can't stop worrying. And you're always angry. And then you walk in the door and someone asks you, Hey, how are you? And after you've lost this struggle with one of the aforementioned things or another secret sin that you have hidden away in the darkness of your heart. As you walk in the door and you heard that question, how are you? You answer, good, great, grand, wonderful, couldn't be better. He is risen indeed, brother. What a savior, hallelujah. When inside you are dying. You don't want to show anybody or anyone the truth. That you're not okay. That you need grace this morning, right now, today. Because you want their approval. You don't want to seem 
weak and needy. You want to make a good showing. Just like the Judaizers, we want to look good, to be approved, accepted. Listen, in Christ, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. That's why we're here. Because we are the poor and the weak and the needy. We are the ones that have recognized that we need to come to Christ for salvation. That we take nothing to Him except open hands to receive. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. And it's only when we come to Christ and accept His grace that we can become more than okay. That we can become more than just fine. Yet despite our knowledge of Christ, despite knowing that we are approved in Him, that we have been adopted as sons and daughters, we worship making a good showing. We boast in ourselves rather than worshiping Jesus and boasting in the cross. We're more concerned with that which is superficial than that which is substantial. So we take selfies or we lie about ourselves to make a good showing instead of honestly going to Jesus in need, instead of coming to one another and bearing our burdens. Tim Keller says, the heart of your religion is what you boast in. The heart of your religion is what you boast in. Let me ask you this morning, what do you boast in? Where do you look for approval? What do you talk about all the time? What do you magnify? The heart of your religion is what you boast in. You know, the natural person or the person that doesn't have the Holy Spirit, the person that doesn't know Jesus, looks for approval and validation everywhere, but can never find quite enough of it. It's not enough to be content anywhere. They've always got to take another selfie. They've always got to post another picture. They've always got to say that they're happy one more time. They've got to show everybody how good things are going for them. The natural person is indeed self-centered. But the new creation is not self-centered. The new creation is Christ-centered. The Judaizers want to be made much of, and so they add to Jesus to make the cross and the gospel more palatable, more acceptable. They attempt to domesticate the cross so that no one is offended because they're still captive to the natural world. But Paul says, those that are a new creation by the cross of Christ are free from the world. Verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but only a new creation. And as for those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Paul will not domesticate the cross, but instead he will boast in its scandal. I think it's hard for us to truly understand how scandalous the cross is in our contemporary culture. I think that D.A. Carson is is helpful here, so I'm going to quote him at length. He says the following, "What What would you think if a woman came to work wearing earrings stamped with an image of the mushroom cloud 
of the atomic bomb dropped over Hiroshima? What would you think of a church building adorned with a fresco of mass graves at Auschwitz? Both visions are grotesque. They're not intrinsically abhorrent, but they are shocking because of the powerful cultural associations. The same sort of shocked horror was associated with the cross and the crucifixion in the first century. Apart from the emperor's explicit sanction, no Roman citizen could be put to death by this means. Crucifixion was reserved for slaves, aliens, barbarians. Many thought it was not something to be talked about in polite company. Quite apart from the wretched torture inflicted upon those who were executed by hanging from a cross, cultural associations conjured up images of evil, corruption, abysmal rejection. Yet today, crosses adorn our buildings and our letterheads. They grace our bishops, shine from our lapels, dangle from our ears, and no one is scandalized. In the first century, crucified Messiah sounded like a contradiction in terms, like frozen steam, or hateful love, or upward decline, or godly rapist, only far more shocking. For many Jews, the long-expected Messiah had to come in splendor and in glory. He had to begin his reign under, with uncontested power. Crucified Messiah? This juxtaposition of words is only a whisker away from blasphemy. Since every Jew knows that God himself has declared that everyone who hangs in shame on a tree stands under God's curse. This cultural distance from the first century makes it so hard for us to feel the compelling irony of the cross and its scandalous nature. Indeed, the cross is Christianity. It's where we see Jesus take our sin, our evil deeds, our punishment, and where we receive his perfect righteousness. Let it be the only place that we boast, and the place that we glory, and the place that we magnify the work of Christ. It's through the scandalous tree that salvation has come. And it's only one that we're able to say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me that the world will no longer have any claim on us. It is only by the cross of Christ that we will go from being natural to being unnatural. Supernatural. Because the things of the world will pale in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing this great and glorious God. We will cling to the cross, boast in the cross, because Christ will be our treasure. When Christ is your treasure, it's only then that you're truly free to enjoy the world, to enjoy the good gifts of God, because you will no longer look to them as objects of worship. They make crummy gods. You'll no longer fear them. Fear that you won't have the approval of man. The Christian is free to enjoy the world because he no longer needs to fear or to worship it. The natural person, they look to make a good showing. They are self-centered. But the new creation is not self-centered, but Christ-centered. Because that person, 
the new creation, understands verse 15. Circumcision counts for nothing. Uncircumcision counts for nothing. Only a new creation counts. I think we're helped to understand what this means a little bit in uh, John 3 when Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He comes to him at night and, and he says this, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Self-salvation and salvation by works, or Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus church attendance, whatever, fill in the blank, they both fail. Because only one thing matters. Being born again. Only a new creation is rescued from sin. Only new creation can have peace with God. Only the work of the cross and the invasion of the Holy Spirit into your heart can make you a new creation. Only a new creation can be made new and walks by this rule and receives peace and mercy as they are accepted as the new Israel of God. It is they who walk by the Spirit that have put on Christ and received adoption as sons and daughters of God. By grace, through faith, they have believed in their hearts and confessed with their mouths that Jesus is Lord. Those that know Jesus no longer obsess over the externals, but concern themselves with that which is internal. This internal change, however, is often faked with external behavior. Saying, I know Jesus is Savior. And showing up to events. But knowing Jesus is Savior and believing it are two very different things. The devil knows that Jesus is the Savior. Intellectual assent is not enough. We must hear the voice of Christ and be wakened from our death as Lazarus was from the tomb. You know, our culture is, is pretty funny. Uh, when someone dies, we, we pay all kinds of money to morticians so that they can pretty them up and, and make them look as though they are still alive, right? The truth is, is if they felt as good as they looked, they would probably exit the, the coffin and, and have a drink with us or dance or walk around the room. But the fact remains they're, they're dead. I suppose when I die, you could make me look real nice, dress me uh, in very fancy clothes, maybe uh, put some strings from my, my hands and my head and my legs and dangle me around, do a puppet-like thing, bring my favorite meals into the room and you know, waft them under my nostrils. But the fact would remain, I would be dead. Do notice that when Lazarus dies, they put him in the tomb. They don't push him around in a wheelbarrow and pretend that he is alive. Yet this is what we do in our churches. We tell people that are not alive that they are. And we push them around town in wheelbarrows saying that Jesus gives life. 
but our culture sees the truth. And they smell the death on us. Christianity in this community, Christianity in America, isn't flourishing because we are constantly trying harder to make a good show than to make disciples. So we water down the message of the cross so that it will be more acceptable. Because the message of the cross is not popular. It says you are not good. Good people are not good enough. You have a problem that you cannot fix. Jesus is the only way to God. This flies in the face of the tolerance of our day. It flies in the face of all other schemes of salvation. The scandalous cross makes people angry because it confronts them with conceit, with pride, with their self-centeredness, with their sin. It confronts you and I with our sin. And it makes us angry. Because it is there at the cross, as John Stott says, that we shrink to our true size. In the course of men, we don't like it. Men resent the humiliation of seeing themselves as God sees them and as they truly are. They prefer their comfortable illusion, so they steer clear of the cross. They construct a Christianity without the cross, which relies for salvation on their works and not on Jesus Christ. They do not object to Christianity so long as it is not the faith of Christ crucified. But Christ crucified, they detest. And if preachers preach Christ crucified, they are opposed, ridiculed, persecuted. Why? Because the wounds which they inflict on men's pride. The cross is not popular But I tell you, a crossless Christianity is no Christianity. It saves no persons and it has no power. Paul knew this and he was beaten and bloodied for it. Verse 17, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul makes this remark to say that the physical outward marks of circumcision and of the old world have no saving significance. Your superficial Christianity has no significance. Only the cross has substance. Everything else is utterly irrelevant before God. Your good deeds are worthless. Jesus plus nothing is everything. The marks on Paul's body only matter because they point to the cross. Because they magnify what Christ has done. What marks do you bear this morning? Where do they point? Have you been made a new creation? Have you been shrunken by the cross? Are you alive? Or is someone pushing you around in a wheelbarrow? The cross offers you life this morning. Indeed, Jesus lived the life you should have lived and died the death you should have died. So that in accord with Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Let me ask you this morning, 
Will you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Will you have life? As we come to sing our hymn of invitation this morning, I ask you, have you responded to the cross? It demands a response. You will either hate it or you will cherish it. You will either pick up your cross and follow Him daily, sell the field and buy Jesus because He will be your treasure, or you will live a life that smells of death, that will never satisfy. You either love the cross or you'll hate it. How will you respond this morning?